John's Gospel then, chapter 3. I draw your attention tonight to the verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. That is, the Lord Jesus, John here is speaking about the sure increase of Jesus Christ. The sure increase of Jesus Christ. There are three things, three heads that I would like to leave with you as we think upon this text. First of all, we want to think about the context in which John speaks this. Why does he say these words and why does he put it in this form? And so we have to look at the context. And then secondly, we want to look at the nature of the increase of Jesus Christ. What does John mean when he says he must increase? And then thirdly, we want to look at the necessity of that increase. Why it is that he must increase. And why it is that he cannot but increase. And why it is true what John says. First of all then, the context in which John makes this statement. Why does he say this? There's an emphasis here. There's an emphasis upon the pronouns. He, but on the other hand, I. He, he must increase, but I must increase. What, what is he doing and why does he do this? Why does this image of increasing and decreasing be used at all? And it's because some Jews have come to John And they've come to him and they've said something in his ear. And that which they have said in his ear is found in verse 26. Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men are coming to him. And so that's what the Jews are saying to John. And you can see what they're at. They're not up to any good when they say this. And this statement that they make in the ears of John, they don't do it in the simplicity of their hearts. They're not doing it in the goodness of their hearts. They're not doing it with harmlessness. In fact, it's got a jag in it. It's got a razor in it. You know, the Bible says, Psalm 52, verse 2, about the wicked tongue, the tongue of the wicked man. Thy tongue devises mischiefs, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. And these Jews have tongues like that. They have tongues that have sharp razors in them that are working deceitfully and trying to do something to John's mind. You know, it's an ancient booby trap to embed razors and something that you know a man will grab tightly. Or to place sharp glass, broken glass, in food that you know a man will digest and swallow, and it'll cause him harm as it goes down into his bowels. And it's diabolical and wicked to do that. And yet some people speak like that. Some people talk like that. 
On the surface, it sounds innocent enough, but with wicked people, there's, there's a razor hidden. There's something embedded. And whenever it's digested and goes down and the man begins to think about that, it causes damage. It causes hurt. Sharp razors working deceitfully. And it's not a good sign that a man talks like that. It's not a good sign whenever your speech has to have a razor edge concealed in the words. And these Jews are like that. They're using a sharp, deceitful razor. They're pretending to be John's friends. Rabbi! Rabbi, they say. They use the title of respect. They're, they're, They're pretending to say something innocently to him. They're pretending to say something good to him. Rabbi! But this statement has a cutting edge. And they certainly don't have any love for Jesus when they talk. They don't name him. Do you see that? He, he that was with you, to whom you bear witness, the same. All men are coming to him. They don't even, they don't even name Jesus. Can't speak his name. That's telling. When they can't say his name. When they can't talk about the Lord and say even Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And you can see what they're at when they're talking to John. They're trying to dissuade John from and against Jesus. They're actually trying to make John jealous of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're trying to tip his mind. They're trying to push him over the edge, as it were. They don't care for the popularity of Jesus, but they think it will make John jealous. You see, it would make them jealous because they have bad hearts. And they think John's just like them. And they think it'll make him jealous if they just, you know, tell about the popularity of, of Jesus. And so they make these four brief statements. And each of them has a razor implant to cut John. He that was with thee beyond Jordan, he that you baptized, He that was under you, he that was under the waters that you poured over him, he didn't stay with you, John. He was with you, but he didn't stay with you. You were first. You were before him. You were the rabbi. But he's way off on his own now. He's gone now. He's not with you now. So you can see what they're at. And then that second phrase, you bear witness to him. You were good to him, John. You were promoting him. You believed he was the one who was to come. And now he's not with you. And what is more, John, the same as baptizing. He's taking over your job, John. He's baptizing in another place. He's doing what you were called to do. You are the baptizer. You're John the Baptist, but now he's taken over your job and he's gone off on his own. Behold, the same baptizeth. And what is more, John, and this is really a sharp razor, as they think, all men are coming to him. They're coming to him. I notice your crowds are dwindling, John. 
We notice that your numbers are getting less and less. We notice that they are decreasing. They're on the decrease, John. But that that one who you promoted, they're all coming to him. He's on the increase. He's on the multiplication. He's getting the crowds, John. And so you see what they're doing. They're trying to rile John. They're trying to annoy him. They're trying to irritate him. They're trying to make him sin. The sin of envy. The sin of jealousy. Men and women, I have to say tonight, it's not a sign of grace if you speak like that. Pretending to pass on harmless information. But really, you hope to annoy. You hope to get a dig in. You hope to hurt. You hope to make jealous. Or to somehow make the one hearing to sin. That's a diabolical work. That's not a kind of work any Christian should be involved in. Out of the heart a man speaks. And if a man's heart is full of depravity and corruption, his speech will very often have razors to hurt and contaminate the minds and the hearts of others. Such a man needs to be born again. If you're a man of corrupt speech, you have to be born again. These Jews have to be born again. They have no love for Jesus. They have no love for the followers of Jesus. They only wish to cause hurt and harm. They cannot speak sweetly of the Savior. They cannot even mention his name. They cannot speak sweetly and lovingly to the Baptist. The man who does not love the Savior. And the man who wishes to hurt the saints is a man who needs to be born again. You need to be saved if you're like that. Or if you're a saint who's fallen into that way, you've lost the joy of God, you've lost the sweetness of grace in your life. You're far away from the Lord and your speech is just, well, it's just hurtful. You need to come again to the fountain and get, get back to the sweetness of Christ. You know, the Savior didn't speak like that. Remember how the Bible says about the speech of Jesus, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace. Grace has poured into thy lips. And therefore God has blessed you forever. His lips are filled with grace. No razors. No razors working deceitfully. Sweet words, pure words, edifying words. And as the Lord Jesus came among men, the Bible says, all bear him witness. And they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Gracious words, harmless and edifying. Encouraging. And saints should not speak like these Jews speak. What does the Bible tell us? Let your speech be always with grace. Always with grace. Seasoned with salt. Pure. Edifying. Doing people good. Paul says to the Ephesians, let no corrupt 
communication proceed out of your mouth. And that's what's coming out of the mouth of these Jews. Corrupt communication. Not good, not for the use of edifying, but for the use of causing men to sin and encouraging envy and malice and all these things. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in a man's speech is a breach, a breach in his soul, a breach in that man's soul who speaks thus, but also a breach and a break in that man's soul who hears him. And so let our mouths be trees of life, speaking edifyingly unto men. And so you see what they're at, how they're trying to make John jealous. And you see how he answers them. He's not one bit jealous. And verse 27, he recognizes God's sovereignty in all of this. God has ordained this. He says a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. The crowd that I have is the crowd that heaven has given me, John has said. And if the numbers have gone down, if the numbers have decreased, it's heaven that has allowed it and done it. And so I, I can do nothing but what heaven gives me. And if, if the master has more than heaven has ordained it, and I just submit to the sovereignty of God and to the reign of the Most High in this business that you are alleging. And then he says in verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not Christ, but that I am sent before the Christ. He says, it's no surprise that he is getting crowds of people. It's no surprise that he is baptizing, because as I said, he's the Christ. I'm just the forerunner. I'm just the announcer of him. You yourselves are are witness of that. I am not the Christ. And so this is not unusual. And then he confesses that he is Christ's friend. And this doesn't make me jealous one bit. Quite the opposite. I rejoice. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices. You're not making me one bit jealous with what you insinuate or what you're trying to do. You're not going to push me into the arena of maliciousness by these words. No, because I'm his friend. I'm his friend. And I rejoice. I rejoice that he's being promoted. And then he states the words of our text tonight in verse 30, as if to say, it's no surprise. It's no surprise he's getting the crowds and my numbers are going down. It's not one bit surprising and I'm not one bit shocked at it at all because he must increase. And I, on the other hand, must decrease. So that's that's the context. You can see how true God's Word is. How accurate it is to human nature and to, to events. But then secondly, the nature of the increase of Christ. John is 
is fully confident of Christ's increase. It's something that he expects. He must increase. He not only expects it, he rejoices at the prospect of it, of the increase of the Savior. This is said with conviction. He must increase. It's said with assurance, but it is also said with gladness, and not with envy, and not with disappointment. He must, he must increase. He doesn't say it with a spirit of depression that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to increase and he's going to decrease. He's not getting one bit down about that. The raising of Christ's light and the waning of his own doesn't lower his spirits. He's not saying this with his heart and his boots. He must increase, but I must decrease. No, he says it with gladness. As every saint ought to, he, he must increase. And I, I must decrease, and I am decreasing in this frail body. What does he mean then if we concentrate on the increase of Christ? How will Christ increase? Now, the verb here means to grow, to get bigger, to become more visible, more prominent. And it's used in the Bible of a number of situations. It's used of plants, for example. We read about the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they increase. He must grow. It's used of children. That's what children do. Children grow. The child Jesus grew, and he waxed strong in spirit and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon his life. And it's used spiritually of growth in Christian grace as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world that you may, you may grow, that you may increase. Get the word into you that you may increase and grow. And grow in grace, Peter says in his second epistle, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And he must grow and grow more and more, and increase greater and greater. And what you Jews tell me is no surprise. It's not a surprise at all that he's growing. It's just as I expect. He's the son of righteousness, you see, who rises more and more with healing in his wings. And I'm just the moon that, that sets, and as the day dawns, he is prominent in the sky, and he shines, and he is the light of the world. And John could say something like, I must serve my generation and be buried and see corruption, but not Christ. No, he will grow and increase and multiply. Though his beginning was small, and it was small, it just laid like a little baby in the manger, and he was wrapped in swaddling bands, and he was born into poverty, and he was chased and pursued into Egypt. His beginnings were small. He was raised in obscure Nazareth. His beginnings were small. He was despised and rejected of men and eventually crucified, dead, and buried. His beginnings were small, but he must increase. 
He must increase, growing more and more unto the perfect day, so that his light shall never wane. And his Son, when he has fully risen, shall never, ever set. His Father shall increase him more and more, and the Holy Spirit will increase him more and more, and the saints and his followers and all his preachers who uplift him and magnify him, they will increase him more and more, and he must increase, and he shall increase. He shall increase in power and influence. That's what John means. He'll be raised from the dead. And he'll be exalted into the heavens. Yes, he's been brought low. And he's been made small as the Jews have trod upon him and crucified him. But he shall rise from the dead. And he'll be exalted to the heavens. And he'll receive the Holy Spirit. And he'll not just be like me, baptizing with water, but he'll so increase that he'll baptize with the reality. He won't baptize with the shadow and with the seal and with the sign merely, but he'll baptize with the whole reality of the thing. He'll pour out the Spirit himself upon us, for he must increase. And so John is talking about his power and his influence. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. Verse 34. For God doesn't give the Spirit by measure unto him. He has immeasurable portions of the Spirit, for he must increase. And the Father loveth the Son and has given everything. Everything has been put into his hand. For he must increase. He's going to hold all things. And therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. He has increased. Increased so mightily and so greatly that he is at the right hand of power. In the highest heavens, he has grown like a great tree whose top has reached onto the heavens, and he sat down at the right hand of God. It's fulfilled. It's true. He has increased. And it's as John has said, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour. Exalted and extolled, and very high, the Bible says. And so he's increased in power and influence. That's the most powerful place of all, the right hand of God. That's the most influential place. That's the place where you determine all events in the world. As the book of the Revelation tells us, it shows us the Lamb there in the midst of the throne, opening the seals and all the decrees of God being, as it were, fulfilled in the earth in his hands because he has increased. And what John has said is so true. And he also must increase in proclamation. And John says, I am his forerunner. Yes, I bear witness to him. Yes, I preached him. 
But I'm not the last. There'll be more to come. He's just the first runner. There's more runners to come going into all the earth preaching Christ. And if you think this is just in a wee corner where Christ has been proclaimed and been borne witness unto, you've seen nothing yet. He must increase. And there'll come a time when he'll be preached unto all the nations and it'll be preached unto all the villages and towns of the earth. And in the most obscure places, he will go and he'll be proclaimed and preached. And he'll be growing and increasing in the eyes of the most humble of people. Proclaimed amongst the nations. For Jesus himself said, this gospel must be preached in all the world for a witness And as Paul says, the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh, preached unto the Gentiles. Even in the most distant isles, he will so grow and increase that in the furthest corners of the earth, there will be men, obscure men and women in we obscure places, and they will see him because he has increased and he's grown in the preaching of the Word. And it's the job of the preacher to increase them too. And Jesus himself says, Go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he is the ransom who was given for all in due time to be testified to among all men. And so evangelists and preachers will be raised up, John says. There'll be many like me, empowered by the same Holy Spirit. There'll be an army of Baptists, an army of men empowered by God, and they'll go and they'll lift them up. They're growing more and more of the prominence of the Son of God. And he'll grow like a tree. And his branches will spread out. And the knowledge of him will cover the earth one day as the waters cover the sea. Because he must increase. He shall increase in popularity too, as the text hints. All men are going to him. You've just got a little flock now, John. They're all with him. Bless the Lord. It's so. And may it ever be so. And he must increase so that it shall be so. And what did Jesus himself say? I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. All men. All races and cultures. All colors. A light to the Gentiles. So growing that he will be God's salvation to the very ends of the earth. And the Gentiles shall flood into him and pour to him like, like a river being drawn to Christ. His name shall endure forever. And men shall be blessed in him, the Bible says. Even all nations, all peoples, all races, all languages, all tongues, This is what the Bible says. All nations shall call him blessed, for he must increase. And his name will be glorious throughout all the earth. 
That's Christ. What does the Bible say? On to him. Not on to John the Baptist. Not on to a preacher. But on to him shall the gathering of the peoples be. He must increase. Men are going to come to him. In multitudes. And have done so. Bless his name. And he shall increase in his possessions. He shall grow in all that he possesses. Poor and needy now. Poor and needy not where to lay his head as John speaks. Must borrow a coin to use it in a demonstration of a lesson. But don't be deceived. The Father has put all things in his hand. And he must increase. He is to be the heir of all things. And there is to be given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people and nations and languages are to serve him. And his dominion is to be an everlasting dominion. John's right. He must increase. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, Jesus says. Of the increase of his government, the prophet Isaiah says. There shall be no end. Just growing and growing and growing till he fills the whole earth. He must increase. The necessity, finally, of that increase, he must increase. Not a question of possibility. There's no doubt on the matter. There's not anything uncertain it's sure he must increase. Why, why must he increase? Why, why is it necessary that he increases? Why is it true? Well, it's not because he has an army. It's not because he uses military might. That's not how Jesus increases. Nor is it dependent upon the numbers of Christians. No, he must increase for very simple reasons. He must increase because of who he is. That's why. He's the Son of God. He cannot but increase. If he's a mere man, if he's just a man like any other man, come and go. But no, he's the Son of God. He's the Word who came into the world, the Word who was made flesh. He is the ever-blessed one. He is the incarnate one. And the incarnate one cannot but increase. It's unthinkable that he would always be a little babe in the manger. It's unthinkable that he'd always be poor and a pauper. It's unthinkable that he'll always be the man on the tree. No, he has a work to do. But he is the incarnate one who will grow and become prominent and fill, as it were, the nations with his glory because of who he is. An oak seed cannot but be a great oak. And the one in the manger is the Son of God in flesh. And he cannot but increase. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He must increase because of who he is. 
because of his person. He's the person of the Son of God, equal with the Father in power and glory. And it pleased the Father that in that little babe in the manger, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And you can't hold that fullness back. He must increase. And we rejoice that it is so. And he must increase also because the sovereign God has decreed it. And Holy Scripture has proclaimed it. And what is prophecy? Prophecy is but the revelation of the decrees of God. And as we have quoted many of those prophecies, Isaiah 9, Psalm 79, and Daniel 7, and Psalm 2 as well. What did Jesus say? I'll declare the decree. It's decreed. And I'll declare it. That's why he must increase. There's a decree. There's a decree of God that says he shall. I'll declare the decree. The Father has said unto me, Thou art my Son. Ask of me. I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. You'll increase, my son. I'll declare the decree. This is what he said to me. Ask me for the heathen. I'll give you the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. For you to possess the utmost corners of the world, the isles of the Gentiles. And even this little island here, I'll declare the decree. And because the Father has decreed it, I shall possess it. He must increase because of the Father's decree. And then he must increase because he deserves it. He deserves it. Never was there a man who deserved it. Never was there a man who deserved such growth. Never was there one who deserved such multiplication. Never was there one who did such a worthy work that he must increase as a result of it. And he's rewarded because he came. He's rewarded because he took a creature nature. He's rewarded because he humbled himself and veiled himself with flesh and became, as it were, a worm and walked among men, and went to the degrading death of the cross in the atonement for our sins. And he must increase because he deserves to increase. The Father must reward him. The Father must raise him from the dead after such worthy work. Surely it could not be possible that such a one could be held of death, kept in the ground so that he doesn't grow, so that he doesn't sprout, so that he doesn't come forth and go up into the highest heavens of heavens. It's impossible. His work is so mighty that he deserves it. And he obtains it. And the Father raises him from the dead And he says to him, sit thou, sit thou there at my right hand, my son. I'm going to make you great. Wait and see to how great I shall make you. I make all your enemies 
to be your footstool, and he shall be great, for he must increase. What are the lessons, very quickly, that we can draw from this truth? First of all, to our encouragement congregation, in a day of apostasy and abounding wickedness, and in discouraging times for the church here, let me say this. The enemies of God are in a losing battle. They're in a losing battle. For he must increase. That's it. Those who set themselves against Christ are fools. To oppose him, to obstruct him, to stand in the way of him is folly. To write books against him, to go out there and parade in the vileness of their opposition to him is folly. Because he must increase. And it'll all be in vain, their writing, Dawkins, the God delusion, all this and that. Oh, their proud pen and their proud tongue and their proud words. But they'll not stop this. They'll not stop Christ increasing. Let them write all they want. Let them speak all they wish in their great swelling pride. He'll shut their mouths one day because he must increase. This is what heaven has ordained. And we're on the winning side to stand with Jesus Christ. Our elder brother is a giant. He's a giant. And don't you be ashamed to stand with him. And this should encourage our hearts, those of us that are Christians. This should lift up the heart of every saint. And what wonderful, beautiful words these are. He must increase. This must strengthen our resolve. This must surely stir our souls. This must motivate us and increase our faith. If we but catch the sound, he must increase. And we need not despair. Serve him. Serve him joyfully. Serve him faithfully. Keep at it. Keep at the meetings. Keep in the word. Keep at prayer. Hold up your position in your little station. Hold on and don't let go. Because he'll increase. And nothing will prevent it. And then let us ourselves seek Christ's increase. Let us in our humble endeavors promote it. Let us who preach, preach him and magnify Him, and exalt Him, and put all our efforts and energy into promoting Him to the best of our ability. And let us increase Him in our own hearts, in our own lives. May He increase in us. May He grow, as it were, Himself in us. May we be filled with His power. And may we grow to the stature of his greatness. And let us further his kingdom in our little humble sphere of influence. As heaven has given us it, let us increase his kingdom by our humble endeavors. 
This should be the model then of every Christian, shouldn't it? Jesus shall become greater and more visible. And I'm going to make him greater and more visible. And while I make him greater and more visible at the same time, I'm going to endeavor to hide myself. For he must increase. And I must decrease. And it is true. And so may these words encourage you, congregation, this evening. And may the Lord be pleased to bless these words. And this text especially to your heart.